Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kellen, have you ever wanted to be a politician? Nope. Never? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know other people aspire to that, but just from the start, like early on, maybe it was like seeing all this stuff going on with Bill Clinton and his affair and like telling the American people I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's That's... The line he used, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, I re I just have these memories of that being on the TV at our house all the time, and it all just felt like such a joke, like such a game. Uh, it I guess it has always felt sleazy to me. You know, it's funny. I think I grew up a little more naive. I do remember that uh, we were what ten years old, I think, when that all went down with with Clinton. Um, but I I, I do feel like there was a significant portion of my childhood and perhaps even my early teenage years where I respected the office of presidency and even of politicians. I looked at them as leaders and as powerful people who were trying to do the right thing. And that has definitely changed, uh, you know, in the second half of my life up to this point, the last 10 or 15 years. And well, hold on, before you continue, I do want to say, like, I have met... Uh, like local politicians on like a small scale uh, that I am convinced are just really good people trying to make an impact. Not all of them, right? But there are definitely people who get into it for the right reasons. 
And I think there are even those that rise to uh, high levels of government who, at least in their minds, believe they're making a positive impact and in, in many cases are trying to do what they feel the people want or what's right for the people. Like, I think there are those cases. So it's a blanket statement to just say, like, all politicians are scumbags. But uh, I think there definitely are some systemic issues uh, that reward politicians for what I consider to be unethical behavior. Absolutely. It's the same conversation that people have about the police, right? Uh, it's It would be a very blanket statement to say every single police officer is bad, and we will have listeners who believe that. Um, but I, but the, the systemic issues and so many articles and things that I've read basically show that good officers are pushed out. There might be people who get into the force for good reasons, uh, but the, their their ability to stay around and have a good effect is short-lived. They're pushed out, right? They try and speak up against corruption or bad officers and they get chased away, right? And that makes it really difficult for the good ones to stay. And I think the political system is much the same way um, in that they are so highly incentivized in so many different ways to be corrupt that it is extremely difficult for the good ones to succeed. And Today's episode, the focus is on a specific type of that corruption and how it's infiltrated, and in many ways, in a legal way, the U.S. system of government. And going back to your comparison about like police officers, there's also pockets, right? Not only individuals, but you might have one district or one precinct where like, it's got a certain culture and, and people are upholding very positive values, and you get other areas where... It's just year after year, decade after decade of corruption and almost this expectation of uh, doing a lot of shady things under the table. And so I think it's similar with politics, um, but really excited to talk about this issue because it's one that we've mentioned here and there in the past, uh, but we have yet to really dive into. Great. Well, I believe uh, we did bring up this topic, lobbying, once upon a time, briefly in an episode. But like you mentioned, we haven't had the chance to really go into it uh, any deeper. So I'm really excited to get into, you know, what is lobbying and what are the effects of it? What does it have to do with collapse? Now, today's episode, we know the most about the U.S. government and lobbying that happens here. I don't know the specifics of the legality of lobbying in other countries or specifics about how it happens. So naturally, this one's going to be a little bit more about what happens in the U.S. system of government. However, I think it's going to be similar in most countries, especially most West uh, Western countries. Yeah, and that's where I actually spent a little bit of my time. I didn't take a lot of notes with this part of it, but uh, internationally lobbying and especially like the kind of lobbying that we're talking about in this episode, things that are very concerning, uh, the way the corporations are able to influence politics in a, in a way that's unbalanced, is happening all over the world. There's been a huge spike in Australia. That's one that I looked into a little bit deeper, but it's something that goes back to like Parliament in the UK. Um, you know, India is one that I saw quite a bit about. There are countries all over the world 
that are facing this issue, trying to find the balance of how do you let there be individuals and assemblies of people trying to push for what they want and not have it be disproportionate to like the will of the people when you get more powerful entities involved. I'm glad that you uh, did look into the international side of it. Um, I think that's ec excellent to know, right? And you've just mentioned, like I said, Western countries. I would be curious to know, you know, whether you did research on this or whether it's something to look into later, what lobbying looks like in countries with weaker governments, uh, you know, in the more third world countries where corruption is more abound. Is lobbying legal in those countries or is or does it not matter? Is there so much illegal activity happening in corruption that it just gets looked past, you know, whether it's legal or not? But I guess let's start with just what is lobbying. Um, many of our listeners may have a good idea about what it is and already know much of this. Uh, but if, if you're not aware or you're not familiar with the term, lobbying is the act of seeking to influence a politician on an issue. That's it kind of in its simplest form, right? Um, the type of lobbying that we most often hear about and what, what we'll talk about much today is the act of paying a politician basically, to make the choices that you want them to make in regards to specific legislation. And that's a really good distinction because lobbying as just a general term, like I always want that to be available. Like I always want people to be able to petition their government for change. But when you are like buying change, when you are buying influence, that's where we see the problems. Exactly. And it's a shame that all of it is legal. And we'll kind of get to that. So um, it's it's been legal in the U.S. Uh, lobbying since 1791 uh, because, quote, the right to petition the government for redress of grievances, which is in the Constitution, is protected by the First Amendment of free speech. So like you're saying, that should be protected, the ability to petition the government for change. And technically, this also should give the same rights to any individual person right? Any citizen as it does to more powerful people, to corporations, etc. But obviously it doesn't work out to be equal. The power of one person, myself or yourself, to petition the government for change is not going to be the same as a large corporation or powerful individual uh, with more sway. And in the case of what we're going to talk about here, with more money. Now a little later, Kellen's going to talk about how this right involves corporations because the, the constitution here, the first amendment doesn't say anything about corporations. It talks about the rights of, of individuals, right? To petition the government for redress of grievances. But for now, let's talk a little bit about what the process of lobbying might look like. So uh, to do this, I'm going to refer everybody to a YouTube video um, by a company or a, an organization, I should say called represent us or represent us. Um, this was a video from about seven years ago. I had seen it back when it came out. This was during the Trump era. And it just does a really great job of addressing sort of the, the numbers behind it, the problem. And uh, and so I'm going to link it in the description. Feel free to go check that out. But I'm going to describe it here. So first of all, it talks about how, statistically speaking, the number of Americans that want a law to pass has zero effect on whether or not it passes. So you could have a hundred percent of Americans that want a specific piece of legislation. And it has about a 30% chance of passing through Congress. 
you could also have 0% of Americans that want that legislation to pass, and it would still have about a 30% chance of passing. And this is taken from about 20 years of different legislation that has passed through Congress and the American people's approval or disapproval of it. So quoting from the video, which is quoting directly from the Princeton report that it comes from, it says, quote, The preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near-zero, statistically non-significant impact on public policy. So supposedly we live in a representative democracy, right? People, the, the will of the people is supposed to have a say in the laws of the country. Um, but apparently, according to the statistics, that is simply not the case. And I think what's so shocking about that is, like you said, the analysis that's been done on laws that have actually been passed over the last 20 years, to think that something has the same chance of passing if 100% of citizens want it to pass as something else that 0% of citizens want to pass. Like, that makes me as a citizen feel absolutely powerless that really I don't have uh, any say in the kind of laws that get passed. And you can see why that's just so dangerous to a democracy. Yeah, well said. And, and of course, to the disenfranchising of the people, right? As people become disenchanted with their government, it's a phrase that we've used often in previous episodes, um, disillusioned by the government, basically that sacred aura of that center, that respect that people have for the government disappears as they realize that they are powerless. And of course, this only gets worse when you find out this is only true for the bottom 90% of income earners in America. The top 10% have an entirely different outcome. In the video, they basically explain that, you know, if 20% of Americans want something to happen, it should have about a 20% chance of happening. If 80% of people want it to happen, then it should have about an 80% chance of it happening. We just discussed how it pretty much has a 30% chance of going through across the board no matter how many people want it to happen. However, if you are among the top 10% of wealth holders in the U.S. or corporations, suddenly it starts tracking a lot closer to that. It's still not perfect, but you know it's something like if 80% of those wealthy want it to happen, then it has a 60% chance of happening. And what is uh, really sad is that if 0% of them want it to happen, it will not happen. They have a very strong power to block legislation from happening. So um, most Americans could want something, but if that top 10% or if those corporations don't want it to happen, then it still has a pretty much 0% chance of making it through. And as we continue to discuss this, I know we'll talk about all the impacts that this has regarding collapse, but just think of all the kind of things that we need to have happen, the problems that we need to solve, the kind of legislation that needs to be put in place in order for us to steer away from collapse. Uh, clearly, <laughs> those that uh, are making the most money from the way the system is now are the least incentivized to put those kind of changes in place. And so it seems like we're at complete odds. Like if anything is going to rip away my hope that we can actually make the changes we need to make, it's these kind of statistics that you're sharing right now. 
That's just it. And it's why we see the term greenwashing, right? It's why that happens is because if there's going to be any change made, it's going to be because the corporations want it to. And what do they want to have happen? Well, they want to make people happy while they continue to make money and and continue business as usual. And so they're able to say, oh, yeah, we are uh, fixing the planet in, in our own way and you're going to pay us for it. And so, yeah, what it comes down to is that an extremely small number of people and a small number of corporations decide what happens in pretty much all of American legislation. And, Kellen, like you mentioned, in the legislation of other countries as well, this is also happening. So how does it happen? What does it look like? Um, again, going back to the same video, it does a great job of portraying a, a large bank. Uh, it uses this as an example. A large bank that wants legislation passed that would put the taxpayer on hook for bailing them out if another 2008-type financial crash happened. Which, by the way, is a crash that would happen because the banks were able to over-leverage themselves and make themselves a ton of money, right? So the bank would essentially hire a team of lobbyists, send them to track down members of Congress uh, from whom they need these specific votes, and then they are able to offer them tons of money, whether that be for helping them get a, a re-elected, they can offer them lucrative multi-million dollar consultancy jobs, uh, use other types of flattery or favors, right? I can get your son into the best college. I can help erase your debts. I can pull a string here, a thing there. And from there, it can even get into more nefarious things like blackmail, extortion, right? Um, it, it could devolve into things like my office happens to know that you had an affair with your secretary, and you wouldn't want that to come to light now, would you? Or we know about that abortion you got 23 years ago, so you're going to pass this legislation. So there's a wide range of different ways and things that they will do in order to sway. But the most common is going to be on the money side, which is the legal side. I can pay you. I can get you reelected if you will do and pass this legislation that I want. What's even more wild is that the lobbyists themselves can write up the legislation. So this doesn't even have to be written, you know, by Congress or by a member of Congress. The banker can come to Congress and say, here is the legislation I want passed. Here is the money I'm going to pay you to get it passed. Help me get the votes. They even have ways to do this in which it's basically snuck onto the Congress floor, right? Uh, at the last minute, it's, it's done in an underhand sort of way. And uh, the video talks about how this is done constantly. This is happening every single day in Congress. It is a non-stop part of life for being a congressman or congresswoman. And it feels like uh, as a congressman or a member of Congress, there's not really any way uh, to stay in Congress or even get to Congress without this kind of a thing. Um, I know some of the things that I saw as I was doing research, one article was also from this organization that you mentioned represent.us. Um, and they state that on average, a candidate has to raise more than $14,000 a day, seven days a week to win a Senate seat. And a candidate needs upwards of 1.6 million to win a seat in the house. And so, uh, you know, there's so much gray area in what is actually legal, but it's interesting that you can't like take them 
out to lunch and buy them a $25 steak, but you can say, hey, we'll run a fundraiser for you that's going to raise at least $25,000. And so if you want to be able to get into those positions of influence within the government and stay in those positions of influence, how are you going to get that kind of money? And it seems like it's got to come from people who are interested in keeping you in power and having you vote a certain way. You know, it's interesting. I think about the interview we did with Haven Scott McVarish, where he ran for Congress and he was sort of woken up to the requirements of what that was going to be and how it was basically nonstop, all day fundraising, 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 fundraising. And sort of that reality of, of what the job actually is. And it is just about money. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, and he mentioned like, you're you're making dials on the phone, getting a hold of people, trying to fundraise, talking to all the wealthy, and it's like, hey, in an hour you got to vote on this. You're going to vote this way. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, if if I receive, if I'm a wealthy, you know, if I'm a multimillionaire, billionaire, whatever I am, and I get a call from Haven Scott McVarish, who's running for Congress and he's fundraising, and he says, hey, I need I need a hundred thousand dollars, right? I'm going to say. Great. I'm happy to give you $100,000. What are you going to do for me? It's never just, oh, sure. I'm a good person. I'll give you $100,000. Good luck on your campaign. There is, of course, going to have to be a desired return. And sometimes that can be a quid pro quo, you know, tit for tat. And sometimes that could also just be, uh, I know that this candidate is going to do exactly what I want them to do because they've stated that that's the policy they're going to run on. And if I give them money, I'm going to make sure I push that they do exactly what they said that they're going to do. So, so again, on that point makes me really concerned that somebody would have to be like very independently wealthy and willing to spend all of their own money, uh, in order to get into one of these positions where they could vote a certain way that is independent of what others want or, or the influence of these lobbyists and corporations. Which, by the way, was kind of the platform that Trump ran on. He said, I'm not owned by anyone. I don't need to take anybody's money. Uh, but which ended up being hilarious because his whole presidency was basically a massive grift in which he took his his people's money, right? The people who, who followed him. He's He's still constantly fundraising to this day. 
it almost feels like it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're still going to try and use other people's money to get where you want to be. Well, we talked about the like promises of, hey, if you do this, then we will do a fundraiser and raise a bunch of money for you. But like you mentioned, there's so many different ways that these politicians can be influenced. And one that's really interesting is something that they call the revolving door. Um, these lobbyist groups actually often promise politicians that after their their run in their position, they can then come join the lobbyist group and become lobbyists themselves. And members of Congress who become lobbyists see their salaries increase an average of 1,452%. Holy. <laughs> so you can imagine they're coming to them, these lobbyists, and saying, hey, guess what? We can line up this job for you. You can be a lobbyist after you run in Congress, uh, and you're going to be making millions of dollars. Well, 12 times your income, basically. Yep, we're going to take care of you. That's, that's a heavy incentive. Yeah, <laughs> it's gross. I, I just, the fact that it's legal is shocking. There's there's some comments I want to read. I hope this isn't a weird thing to do. Um, from that, that YouTube video, I just thought some of these were really interesting. They were, they were basically quoting uh, different various people, and I can't verify the veracity of these quotes but I'm just going to read them. So uh, someone said, if voting made any difference, they wouldn't let us do it by Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically just placating us. Um, if exposing a crime is treated the same as committing a crime, you're being ruled by criminals. That was Edward Snowden. Hmm. I like this one. It said, the most successful one-party system is disguised as a two-party system, given the people an illusion that they decide. I mean, and it, it just that goes to highlight and show that lobbying is not like a one party thing. It's not like just the Republicans or just Democrats. This happens on each side of the aisle and it happens at every level. While, of course, this is most notably prominent, you know, in Congress, this is also happening at your local county level, right? Um, decisions are being made on legislation being passed in rural or metropolitan areas that are influenced by the local powerful people, the local wealthy, the landowner who doesn't want that certain zoning to happen or that they do want that zoning to happen, right? You'll see strings being pulled for people that wouldn't be pulled for you. One person said uh, in the comments here, it's not only legal, it's the system. It's not just that it's an option. It is literally the way the system works. Which to me makes a lot of sense. Going back to that idea of like, how do you even get to be a congressman? How do you even uh, maintain that position of power? You can't do it unless you're funded somehow. Like that's just how our system works at this point. So a, a couple of numbers here that I thought were interesting. From 2010 to 2015, so just a five-year period, the 200 most politically active companies in the U.S. spent $5.8 billion on lobbying efforts. So the first thing that that tells me is, okay, 200 companies spent $5.8 billion on lobbying. They have to be getting something back for that. You don't spend almost $6 billion for nothing, right? 
However, this is crazy. Those same companies got $4.4 trillion in taxpayer support. They said trillion with a T over that same amount of time. I don't know exactly how that breaks out, but the idea behind that is to say that taxpayer money through legislation went to these companies lobbying for something to go their way. So that could be from things like oil industry getting subsidies, right? Which is a huge, huge multi-billion dollar subsidy. Um, Taxpayer money going towards certain infrastructure, towards certain laws or organizations. You think about things like the NRA and the Second Amendment. And anyway, taxpayer money being used to help buoy up those infrastructure. Yeah, and linked to that, you can tell me if this lines up with some of the numbers that you were seeing. Um, But for every dollar top companies spend lobbying, they get an average $760 in federal support and tax savings. Uh, It's something that they call literally the, the return on investment for lobbying. Not just ROI, but ROIFL. So really quick, Kellen, while you were reading that, I pulled up my calculator to do some math. You said it was $770 for every $1 spent? $760. $760. Okay, I'm just going to fix that real quick. So it's funny because, yeah, that actually comes out to $5.8 billion being spent and $4.4 trillion being received in return. So I don't know if those two stats came from the same source, but um, it seems to be that that's the general consensus. Well, and it's wild because even if it was just a fraction of that, even if for every dollar spent, Instead of giving, getting $760 back, they're getting $100 back. Right. Like that kind of ROI is huge. Oh, that's unheard of. I mean, it's a no-brainer for a company to lobby. Right. And so no wonder, you know, as I go and look at the the top lobbyists or the companies, corporations, entities that spend the most money on lobbying, you're going to see insurance companies and you're going to see, you know, Amazon's up there, Meta is up there. Like they're going to spend the money. It's well worth spending the money because they get such a great return on it. And not to be hyperbolic with this statement, but you hear people say all the time, taxation is theft. And when you look at this, I mean, never has it been more clear to me that, okay, yeah, taxation is theft. It's literally, they're taking the money that I am paying out of my taxes and funneling it to corporations. Um, there are so many things that taxpayer money could be doing. Taxes don't have to be theft. Taxes could make civilization better. Taxes could make our infrastructure amazing. The amount of taxes that we pay could be going towards really making this nation a spectacular place, right? But it's not. It's going towards these special interests or it's going towards the military, or, or whatever, right? It's pretty clear to see how this topic fits into catabolic collapse when you talk about how taxpayer money is being used. We've talked in so many different episodes about the needs of our infrastructure and how much money needs to go into roads and needs to go into transportation, right? It needs to go into dams and bridges and everything else, education, agriculture, etc., etc. And we talk about how 
oh, you know, $5 trillion would be needed to get everything up to par to a, a B-plus rating on the infrastructure report card. And that's just, there's no way we could ever do that much. And yet we're just talking about how in five years, $4.4 trillion was funneled towards special interests due to lobbying. Like, it just, it feels like highway robbery. And it's a highway robbery that can't be stopped. Well, and when you add up, you know, all of the income tax and sales tax and property tax, all the different taxes we pay, and you and you see what it turns out to be, you know, depending on your tax bracket, it can range widely. But it is, it is you know, if it, it might be a third, it might be a half of all the money that the general population is making is being paid in taxes. It's already infuriating to think like that's just going to the government. That's going to Uncle Sam. But when you think all of that money is being pulled out of each of our pockets just to be put in like Jeff Bezos' pocket or the pocket of the CEO of some big oil company, like how can you not feel so frustrated by that? It's one thing if you're like, well, Jeff Bezos is so wealthy because he's created this amazing platform and I love buying products on Amazon because I get good deals on them. Like if he's created something of value and that's why he's made it further, okay, you know, you can see some real merit to that. <laughs> but when it's like, no, we're basically being robbed uh, to to fill the pockets of the wealthy even more, it's hard not to have like this gut reaction. Well, then to bring that full circle, those ultra-wealthy have these insanely low taxes in the end because of all the loopholes that they're able to take advantage of. And how are they able to take advantage of those loopholes? They've lobbied to have them put there in the first place. So it is just this massive circle of the wealthy being protected because they've been able to lobby their way into that. Meanwhile, they're taking money out of taxes. And obviously not for like, it's not like the government is paying Jeff Bezos directly, right? But because of the regulations and legislation that puts in place that allows them to um, be to make more money from their businesses, um, it is essentially the same. Well, I do want to call out that you know we've uh, cited numbers from a, a few different sources here, but I recognize that those sources are like anti-lobbyist, right? They're trying to make a point, and so the the numbers themselves we always have to like take with a grain of salt. Um, but again, like if it's not a, a one to 760 ratio and instead it's just a one to hundred ratio, like the, the point still remains that this is a major issue. Corporations are buying policies. And when that's the case, uh, we're not going to get a whole lot of movement in the ways that we need it to fix all these systemic problems. But there has been an evolution of this. Um, some of the things that are legal today haven't always been legal. And so one thing that as we planned out this episode, we thought would be important is to highlight a very influential case that's also relatively recent. Um, if you're in conversations about lobbying, you're probably going to hear something about Citizens United. So Citizens United is a conservative nonprofit organization in the US they 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 had a court case that went to the Supreme Court in 2009 uh, it ended up 
going in their favor in 2010. So to give a little bit of background on this, um, Citizens United wanted to air a film that criticizes Hillary Clinton. And the film is called Hillary the Movie. What, they couldn't do Hillary the Musical? <laughs> yeah, not not a super clever title. <laughs> they wanted to spend money advertising the film during TV broadcasts. Um, but that would go against something called the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act from 2002 that prohibits any like broadcast or cable or satellite communication that mentions a candidate within 60 days of a general election or 30 days of a primary. And, and by extension, prohibits corporations and unions from using money to do that. So if we rewind a little bit, um, previously, Citizens United had complained to the FEC, the, the Federal Election Commission, about Michael Moore's film, and you'll remember this, Corey, Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, yeah. That film, it's like a kind of a documentary-ish film that criticizes George Bush very heavily. And so Citizens United had complained to the FEC saying that film violates that bipartisan campaign reform act, but their complaint was thrown out. So what did citizens United do? They made their own documentary that they called Celsius 41.11, clever. And that documentary attacks Fahrenheit nine 11 and it also kind of attacked John Kerry. But then the FEC wouldn't allow them to show it because, you know, they said Citizens United wasn't like a bona fide commercial filmmaker. So you can see, like, Citizens United feels like they're being picked on. Okay, you're saying we can't air this documentary because we're not a bona fide commercial filmmaker. So then over the next handful of years, they made several documentary films to show like, Hey, look, we should be considered a bona fide commercial filmmaker. And they did that all building up to being able to justify their showing of this film about Hillary Clinton, Hillary, the movie. So that was all the history leading up to this. So then you get into this legal battle uh, the question at hand was, can corporations and unions spend their money on electioneering communications? And the Supreme Court ended up ruling that it was against the the free speech clause of the First Amendment to prohibit them from doing so. Now, why why would the Supreme Court allow that to pass? Their argument was that you can't suppress speech of individuals or like an association of individuals and that spending money is essential to disseminating speech. And so if you tell people they can't spend money to get a message out there, then you are limiting their ability to speak freely. So is this, are you following so far? Yeah. Yep. Anyways, to make the rest of the history kind of condensed, basically that court case was so influential because it, it allowed unlimited election spending by corporations. 
and labor unions. Like before, there were some regulations there. But then this is saying like... It's free game. Yep, you can spend whatever you want. And it also set the stage for a later case. Um, that case was called speechnow.org versus the FEC. And that allowed for the creation of what they call independent expenditure committees, more commonly known as super PACs. And then like other cases came along and, and it kind of just set this domino uh, chain where case after case has been removing uh, campaign finance restrictions. So at least compared to what it was not that long ago, it is much more Wild West now. There's so much more that is allowed in terms of being able to step in as a corporation and throw a lot of money towards influencing an election. Um, and that has expanded out into just all sorts of lobbying in general. So the last thing I'll say on that is that um, lobbying, you know, can be done by anybody. And we talked about this, Corey. You could go petition. You could go try to influence a, a member of Congress, a senator. Be like, hey, Marco Rubio, I've got this $10 bill with your name on it. <laughs> uh, you could you could gather your neighborhood and you could go petition, right? You You can find different ways to try to influence. But corporations, businesses account for roughly 80% of all reported lobbying expenditures. And so you, you can, just with this brief summary that we've gone over, you can see the state that we're in and you can see the dangers that it has to us being able to create or fix, maintain any sort of sustainable system. You know, something that you said earlier in the episode strikes me here at the end of this one and it's that this really just makes it feel just so hopeless like when i think about all the challenges that we face and i think about the human desire for change the human natural desire to do what's right and to think that most people probably want what's best for the planet they want what's best for humanity they want what's best for the rest of life here and I really do think that there are probably so many people that would be willing to sacrifice their quality of life for that, for future generations, for their children. And yet it doesn't come off that way, right? We tend to believe that things are the way that they are because the majority of people don't care, or don't want that change. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not the majority. But I do think that, again, inherently, people would do what they needed to do to make that happen. But it's not up to the people. It's not up to people or individuals. Going back to the very beginning of this episode, 100% of people could want a certain thing, and yet that only has a 30% chance of passing legislation, or it has a 0% chance of legislation if it's not what the corporations want. Anyway, that is to say, it doesn't matter if we want to save the planet. If the corporations don't want to save the planet, it won't be saved. And as a matter of fact the opposite would happen, right? It's the corporations behind why the planet is in the state that it's in and why it will continue to worsen in that state. And I'll I'll jump in and say that I know that um, at least a couple of times we've talked about different activist groups and the efforts they're making. And, and we've been critical in some cases and we've praised them a lot in other cases. Um, 
but I think some of them have really honed in on uh, the idea that like you have to make it very painful for corporations. And that's really the only way that we're going to get movement on a certain issue. Like you have to get either the public opinion so riled up in a certain direction that a company uh, will basically be torn apart uh, by the public if they if they don't get in line. Uh, or you influence people uh, away from spending their money on a certain product, a certain corporation. You make it so painful that the corporations have to adapt if they want to keep making the kind of money that they're making. And so it's like, we talk all the time about, uh, you know, the, the influence that needs to happen in the government. Can I go influence like policy directly with the government? Probably not. Uh, but can I influence a corporation? And maybe that's the question that we should be asking ourselves is how do we fight against the, the wealthy and the corporations and not so much uh, against the government? And boy, oh boy, the conversations that that could start, some of which could get us in trouble, so we're not going to start those conversations. But it, it does bring up questions. People, I've seen a lot of, of questions recently around, um, will there be an increase in eco-terrorism, right? What, what will the movements look like in the future as our fate becomes more apparent? Um, I, just a few minutes ago, stated that I think that most people would do what's right right? If given the choice, if they had the power to make those changes. The reason that I think most people don't have that power is because of what we're talking about here today, lobbying. But I also think most people aren't armed with the proper information. There's a lot of ignorance. People who would want to do what is right don't know the issues that we're facing. And so in the future, as those issues become more apparent, as you, the listener, spreads our podcast to other people who need to hear it, right? The nice big, nice oh, plug, by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, at that point, what will people do with that information? The people who want to do what's right, um, what, what limits will they go to? What level will they go to to try and enact that change? And I think that that will be something really interesting to watch here in the coming years as uh, as it all becomes more apparent. Oh,